we continue through Paul's letter to the church there in Corinth. We left off last week in chapter 8. Paul spent a great deal of time talking about our Christian freedoms. And we discussed how verse 9 of chapter 8 was kind of the key verse of that chapter where he says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And Paul discussed how there, we as believers, we, have, we are free in Christ. We have certain rights as believers. But Paul says that those rights and those freedoms should never be used at the expense of someone else. That we are to always look upon others as being better than ourselves. That we are to always look upon the things of others before we do ourselves. So Paul began to talk about uh, the, these, this Christian freedom that we have, but not to use that freedom as a stumbling block to the weak. And here in chapter 9, he continues in that same thing. Every Sunday, people gather to listen to God's Word read and preached from the Bible. But many times when we encounter God in His Word, we don't find exactly what we might expect. On the whole, the Bible happens on a human level. Uh, it's written in plain language. It's about ordinary people living ordinary lives. It's an interesting thing that we're going to find out here in chapter 9. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a member of a congregation, a local congregation of believers. Maybe there's a large, uh, a, a large number of you. And one of the teachers in, or the preachers in your congregation is a man by the name of Paul. The great apostle Paul. Would that not excite you? Would you not love to hear Paul stand up here and pray? Hey, I'll gladly sit down if we could have Paul up here preaching. Well, this is where the church in Corinth found themselves. Paul had actually founded that church. And he was, he was trying to teach them and lead them using his, his apostolic authority. And you know what they were saying to Paul? Paul, we don't like you. You need to get out. We're going to see that. That's what they, they were examining Paul and they were saying, Paul, you're not what we thought we wanted. You're not what we expected. The Bible does not present a God who simply helps us when we're weak or, or who overlooks the difficulties that we face in everyday life. It presents a God who meets people in the middle of their difficulties in everyday life. Paul was one of those everyday people. Now, you and I look back and we see this great apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament. And we think, wow, what an unbelievable man of God. But if you had known Paul and seen him, you probably would have, would have thought, wouldn't have been very flattered by him. You would, I mean, the, the description that we get from the Bible is that Paul was probably a small man. He wasn't a great speaker. He wasn't, he himself even admits that he wasn't much to look at. He had some kind of, of, of uh, well, can't think of the word I'm trying to think of. He, he had 
a thorn in the flesh that from what we understand must have been something physical. So if you had seen Paul, you would understand. We look back at these great apostles and think, what great men of God. But the thing we need to understand is they were men just like us. Isaiah, David, Jeremiah, Daniel, they were all people just like us. They dealt with the everyday problems we deal with. And, and, and they teach us how to look to God. And this is what Paul is trying to do. You see, uh, the church in Corinth, the Corinthian church, they were in the middle of a real mess going on. And one of the biggest issues <coughs> has to do with how little respect they have for this great apostle Paul. Uh, the Corinthians believe that they are entitled to a certain kind of leader... And Paul, you just don't measure up. Here we are in this great city of Corinth. We're a thriving congregation. And Paul, we have to put forth a certain image. And you just don't, live, you don't measure up to that. This is how they were looking. Now, we look at this and say, how in the world could they not just love to have the Apostle Paul? But you have to understand, they did not know the Apostle Paul like we know the Apostle Paul. Because we have all of his letters to look at. Look at verses 1 through 3. Paul, again, is continuing to talk about his, his freedom in Christ. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Are you not, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So, Here's the, here, here, here's the background. Paul is being accused of not actually being an apostle. They're, 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 they're trying to, and here's why they're doing it. Well, let me tell you what they're doing, and then I'll tell you why they're doing it. They're saying Paul is not really an apostle. He took this upon himself just so we could listen to him. And they're trying to say this because they want Paul out of the way. They want him to be gone because he doesn't match their image of what a great uh, pastoral leader should be. And so they're claiming that Paul is not really an apostle. And verse 3 paints the picture of what's going on. He said, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Paul was being put on trial and examined. And, and he's been backed into a corner. And now he's going to begin to defend himself. And, and in verse 1 and 2 tells us what they are attacking. They were attacking his apostleship. And Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Now we need to understand what Paul means when he says, have I not seen Jesus my Lord? Because this is very, very important. You see, the, one of the criteria for being an apostle was you had to have physically seen the risen Christ. You had to have uh, personally been sent by Christ to go out into the world and be an apostle. And they're claiming that because Paul came later that this didn't happen. Of course, Paul is going to give us a little later on his, his uh, story about how on the road to Damascus, he, the G, Jesus came and appeared to him and appointed him an apostle. So they're, they're trying to say, Paul, you're not really an apostle. By the way, just a little side note here. There are no apostles today. There are no apostles anywhere. 
Now, I say that because I know that there are many, many, many people out there who like to call themselves the apostle this and the apostle that, but it's impossible. They are not apostles. That office ended with the apostle John when he died. All right, so that, that was free. So don't, but you need to write that down. But see, Paul, uh, they're, they're attacking who he is. They're attacking his ministry methods. They're attacking his vocation and his calling. And, and they're ignoring the instrumental role that Paul pro, uh, played in bringing them the gospel. He says there, he says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, he says, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of the apostleship. So they feel, the, the church there in Corinth, they felt like they were entitled to a particular kind of leader and that they are entitled to control the situation in order to get the leader they want. We still see this going on in churches today. That, that, that if you're not uh, influential, if you're not highly educated, well, you can't do anything for us. I want to tell you, Paul was highly educated, but he was not very influential. He was not, he was, as I said, he was not the kind of person that they wanted. They want someone respected and well-known and who's a great speaker. And Paul wasn't any of this. And their message to Paul was simply, look, you need to shape up or you need to ship out. Now, can you just imagine what dangerous ground the church in Corinth is walking on here? This is a man sent by God. And they're saying, well, that's not good enough. That's not good enough for us. That's not what we want. We want someone who is respected and well-known. And Paul's answer, he says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Uh, the, the Christians in Corinth were the demonstration of his apostleship. He says there, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? In other words, Paul says, look, if you don't believe that I have personally been appointed by Christ to come and be the apostle, he says, I want you to look at yourselves. He said, look at how you've grown in Christ. Look at how you've heard the gospel. He said, I have done what an apostle would come to do. He says, you are uh, the, the evidence that I truly am an apostle. You know, interestingly enough, they were upset. Now, y'all going to laugh at this. Do you know what bothered the Corinthian church the most? Paul wouldn't take their money. That was what bothered them. That Paul says, look, they, they said, Paul, we want to pay you for what you're doing. Now, here's the thing. Paul is going to go on and he's going to say, look, uh, I am free in Christ. And he said, a, a, a laborer is worthy of his hire. And he goes on talking about how those who proclaim the message of the gospel uh, deserve the financial uh, support of the congregation. Paul says, but here's the thing. He said, I don't want it. And they couldn't understand that. They said, Paul, we don't understand. Take our money. They were throwing money at him. And he said, I don't want your money. <laughs> He said, that's not why I'm here. But, but we're going to find out here at the end of this uh, section, we're going to look at why Paul was saying that. All right? I'm not as spiritual as Paul, okay? <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that little joke in there. <laughs> but
But you see what they wanted? They wanted a leader they could control. They said, Paul, we can't really force you to do anything because we're not paying you. Because you won't take our money. And this was part of why he wouldn't do it. The Corinthian church, they had an inflated view of themselves. They, they, they wanted to get rid of Paul. And he has successfully refuted the denial of his apostleship. He says, look, you have the proof that I am sent here by the Lord Jesus Christ, that I am an apostle. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> But now he attacks the criticisms of his lifestyle and his behaviors. Look at verse 4. Paul says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So what Paul questions is the situation in which he and Barnabas were being totally treated totally different than the other apostles. And, and the reason for this is because Paul was there. Now, remember what he's been doing up to this point. He's been pointing out their sin after sin after sin after sin. They don't like that. He's been trying to point them back to the message of the cross Get back to the message of self-denial, the the, back to the message of taking up your cross and following Christ. And they said, Paul, look, you don't understand. We're, we're more sophisticated here. We don't need all of that. We need you to just take our money, go buy you some nicer suits to wear, go buy you a nicer car to drive so that you, you ad adequately represent who we are. And Paul just flat out said... No, no, I'm not going to do that. There was no reason that he should be denied the same rights as the others had have. Verse 7, he says, Who serves at a as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope and sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? In others, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure everything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I have legitimate right to be taken care of by those who are, who, whom I am ministering to. Uh, it's a common experience in, in, in the world that work is, is rewarded by payment. Paul said, it's right that you take care of those who are presenting the gospel. But then in verse 12, don't miss what he says. Uh, he said, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. He says, I have exactly the same 
divinely given authority as the other apostles. He says, I have the right to bring a wife along. I have the right to be, to be able to uh, eat and take care of myself and take care of my wife. And Paul says, you have an obligation to do that. He said, but here's the thing. He said, I'm not using that right. And he says, in verse 12, he says, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now this, the last part of verse 12, is the key to this entire chapter. It goes back to what Paul was talking about in chapter 8 when he talked about uh, not allowing your freedoms in Christ to be a stumbling block to someone. Paul says, look, he says, I have a right to all these things. I have a right for you to, to, to financially take care of me. I have a right to bring my wife along. I have all these freedoms. He says, but you know what? I'm pushing those aside. If it's going to be a hindrance to the gospel, he said, because that is all that matters to me, is that the gospel is not hindered. In, uh, in the middle of verse 12, Paul makes that unexpected statement to them. In other words, Paul has neither asked for nor been willing to accept any financial support from the Corinthians. And this was a major point of contention with them. Now imagine that today. Just imagine, I'm not even going to go there. Just imagine today we have churches all across our nation. I had a friend of mine several years ago. He sent in a resume to a church that was looking for a pastor. He had no seminary training. He had been bivocational his entire ministry. They wanted to call him, wanted him to be full-time. He sent his resume. <clears throat> they, they politely re responded to his resume and said, we're sorry. You don't meet our criteria. You need to have a doctorate. You, uh, you need to be accustomed to a certain income, and it was pretty high. You know, they weren't saying you need to be poor. They, were, they wanted him to be flashy. They wanted him to be uh, known in the community. He, as, as their pastor, he was required to attend all the high school sports activities. He was intended to, to, to attend all of the high school functions that went on. He was intended to go around and know all the people in the, in the town, even those that went to other churches. This was required. And he was to always dress in a way that represented. You see where this is going here? This is what the church in Corinth wanted. So suffice it to say, my friend, they didn't call him as a pastor. They called another man who had all these qualifications and within two years, that church had split twice. They didn't care about how well he, he taught the gospel. They didn't care about how much he could preach. They cared about the image. And isn't that what we see today in many churches? And this is where Paul was. And Paul says, you don't understand. He says, you've gotten away from the message of the cross. And he said, I won't do anything. I will not do anything that is going to hinder the spread of the gospel. 
because that is wall that really matters. But in the Corinthians' eyes, because Paul was not wealthy, he didn't have all the trappings of a successful teacher or preacher, and in their eyes, he wasn't worth listening to. And this caused real offense in the Christian church. If he really was a man of God, Paul, if you were truly God's man, your lifestyle would show it. Now that sounds like Something that we've seen, you go all the way back to the book of Job, we see it. And it's something that's very prevalent today, and that is if you are truly a child of God, truly a man of God, then God will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. You'll have everything you ever wanted. You'll never be sick. And today we see that, and it was alive and well there in Corinth. Paul, you're representing us, and you need to dress in your Armani suits, and you need to drive your Lexus so that the people know that we take care of our pastor. So, so they'll know that you are truly a man of God. And Paul was saying, no, I will not compromise on this, and even though it has caused offense. And the last part of verse 12 people conclude, uh, gives Paul's concluding remarks when he says, but we endure anything. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now that word obstacle there in verse uh, 12 of chapter 9 is the same word in chapter 8 verse 9 that says stumbling block. Paul says I'm not going to do anything that's going to put a stumbling block. I'm not going to do anything that's going to hinder the, the spread of the gospel. <clears throat> this explains why he wouldn't yield not even an inch to their demands. You know, they were think, they, their thinking was, Paul, you're just being stubborn. You're just saying, you know what, this is not what I think we should do. And Paul says, no, you don't understand. I'm not being stubborn. What I'm doing is being practical. I'm being biblical. And this explains why he wouldn't yield to them. And listen, there is far, something far more important, Paul says, than his rights in Christ or his freedom in Christ. And, that, and it is something far more important than the Corinthians' foolish compromise, and that is the gospel itself. Now, this is what this all comes down to. Can you imagine today if you and I, who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we were to step back, get ourselves out of the way, and say, you know what, it's, it's not so much about what kind of worship service we have, what kind of music we have, what kind of preaching we have. It's about whether the gospel is preached. It's about whether the gospel gets out. And it's not about what I think or what I want or what I enjoy. And we complete, we do what Jesus said. We deny ourselves and die on a cross and make it all about Christ. Can you imagine today what the church could do? Somebody, somebody asked uh, one time, said, what is it today? What is wrong with preachers today? That's what, that's what they asked. I think it was R.C. Sproul they asked this. They asked him, he said, Dr. Sproul, what is wrong with preachers today? And he said, this right here, nobody wants to kill them anymore. He said, that's what's wrong with them. And that's true. Because in Paul's day, I want to tell you, they, they didn't like Paul because Paul preached the truth. Paul wasn't about style. He wasn't about substance. He wasn't about uh, 
what it looked like. He was just simply about the gospel because it all comes down to this right here. There are people all around us. There are probably people sitting in this room right here that are dead in your trespass and sins on your way to hell. And I can stand up here and I can preach what will make you feel better. I can preach what will sound good to you. Or I can preach the truth. Now, I say it like that because I want to tell you, when the truth is preached, it usually don't make you feel better. It usually doesn't sound good. But Paul says that the, the, we need to understand the main thing is this. I love you, and I need you to hear the truth that without Christ, you're going to an eternity in hell. But Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. If we will place our faith and our trust in Him, He'll give us eternal life. He'll forgive all our sins. That's what we have to... And Paul says that's what's important. All that's important is the gospel itself. And the cent this is a central gospel issue for Paul because the primacy of the clear proclamation of the gospel and of its unhindered spread is the driving force of his life and ministry. Oh, if all of us could have that same, if I could have that same, I'm not just pointing a finger at you, if I could have that same mentality in this that Paul had. Verse 13, he says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who are served at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Now listen, I'm not preaching this morning on the fact that, that you need to make sure that the, pastor's pay, pay, that the pastor gets paid because you, you, you people take very good care of my wife and I, and I appreciate that. So that's not what I'm talk, trying to get at here. But what Paul is saying here, <coughs> he's saying that in the preaching of the gospel, he says those who do it must be cared for. Those who do it must be taken seriously. But we also recognize that Paul is bucking the trend and he's going completely against the prevailing culture and what was going on there. Paul says, you know what, I affirm these rights. Yet Paul was adamant. Now, Paul doesn't criticize those who exercise their rights. Paul is not taking the moral high ground here. Paul is not ad uh, adopting a position of spiritual authority or superiority. Paul is just simply saying, look, you need to take care of those who proclaim the message of the gospel to you. He says, but if they don't want it, that's their right, just as much as doing this is their right. And so we have to understand, Paul here is the, is, is the driving force of what Paul is saying right here in this chapter. He's saying it all comes down to this. It's not about money. It's not about prestige. It's not about popularity. Are you ready for this? It's about the gospel. 
It's about the gospel. And Paul says that he just will not risk the hindering of the gospel in any way. You know, we'll find, if you read through the book of Acts, you will find that Paul many times found himself hungry, out in the cold, despairing of his own life. And he even says, he says, I know what it's like to be full. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like to have nothing. All right, now I'm going to tell you a verse of Scripture you may have heard before that doesn't mean what you think it means, that doesn't mean what you've heard it means. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean that I can go out and do anything I want to do. What Paul is saying is, I know how to suffer because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I know how to have plenty because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying, look, the proclamation of the gospel is utmost. It is the most important thing. And he says, Paul says, I will let nothing, nothing get in the way of hindering the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that says that you're dead in trespass and sins, but God who is rich in mercy has made us alive in Christ. That we must admit that we are sinners. We must admit, God, I know that I've sinned against you. I know I deserve your wrath. I know that I deserve hell. And I need help. There's nothing I can do. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you forgiveness. Come to me and I'll give you eternal life. What are you trusting in this morning? That's what the gospel is about. Do you believe that if Christ were to come today, if, if, if you were to uh, die today, do you believe that you would stand in the presence of God and be welcomed into heaven? And if you do, my question is, why? Why would you be? Would you say, well, I was a church member and God's going to say, so? Well, Lord, I, I, I carried a Bible. I read my Bible and he's going to say, so? Because I'll promise you, Satan does those very same things. Satan knows the scripture better than we do. Satan never misses a church service for any reason. He's always here. But when you suck at God and you say, because I was dead in my sins and Jesus made me alive, and I'm here because of him and him alone, and I am clothed in the righteousness of my Savior, then the Father will say, welcome Come on in and enjoy the joys of your salvation. Because that's the only way. That's the message we have. That's the message the world needs to hear. The world needs to hear that it's not about what you have in this world. You know, how many of you remember that old saying? He who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah, I love what Adrian Rogers, he says, you know that's a true statement. They just didn't finish it. He who dies with the most toys wins nothing. Wins nothing. 
Jesus, the gospel. We need to, like the Apostle Paul, say, look, here's my, I have a right as a believer to this, 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 and this, but I put it all aside. You know, I think back to the last thing Paul said in chapter 8. He said, look, if it offends my brother that I eat meat, then I'm not going to eat meat. Now, Paul makes it clear there's nothing wrong with eating meat. He said, but if it offends you, then I'm not going to do it. It's just that simple. Why? Because your growth in salvation is more important. And you and I need to adopt that same attitude. Let's take just a few moments. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning, take a few moments and make sure that you know that you are indeed saved. You know, this table is only for those who belong to Christ. As we come to remember His body and His blood, maybe you have some sin in your life that you just hold on to. You refuse to confess and let go of. You know, over in chapter 11, Paul tells us that to partake of this in an unworthy manner is a very dangerous thing. So I ask you to ask God to search your heart this morning before you come to the table. Make sure your, your heart's right with God. Make sure your sin is forgiven, your sin is confessed and forgiven, and that you trust in Christ and Him alone. Just a